The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount. And welcome, everybody. I wasn't sure about our, it's our first webinar, Corrie, and I wasn't sure whether I was meant to start or not. Not only is this the first webinar that we've done for Don't Shoot the Messenger, it is our 150th episode. They said we'd never make it. Well, they actually didn't say Who that. Who said that? <laughs> no one said that. Welcome, Corrie Perkin, Hello, my dear Caro. friend. Hello, Proddies. Hello, everybody out there who's watching us today. And, uh, of course, those listening Another episode, 150. You all deserve, actually, the celebration and the champagne, not us. It's been a very long year. It's been a lot, a long few years, in fact, but this year particularly. A huge thank you to Red Energy who have supported us, and particularly during what has been a very long, cold winter, particularly for Victorians. And a bigger thank you to our new sponsors, the uh, Prince Wine Store and Click for Vic. More about them soon. Well, Corrie, since we last spoke. Twilight Payment has won the Melbourne Cup, another winner for Lloyd Williams. Anastasia Palaszczuk has won the Queensland election and her opponent, Deb Frecklington, has stepped aside. Gladys Berejiklian has only this morning announced she's opening the borders between New South Wales and Victoria from November 23. Um, my mother's still got the Richmond 1967 Premiership team on her front door. Anna's back in the op shop. You're back in the bookshop. And, and there's an election on, Caro, uh, as we speak. Well, so I, I Potty, figured you'd probably bring that up. <laughs> so, Potties, uh, if I keep looking away at my telephone, it's because at the time of recording this, which is Wednesday afternoon, the counting has begun in the USA and uh, it's pretty neck and neck and we're pretty tense here in um well, certainly in my house. Is it a bit like, not? I can't remember John F. Kennedy being shot, but you know how people say when they knew where they were. Can you remember what you were doing when you realised four years ago that Donald Trump was going to win the election? Well, it, uh, it happened about uh, two, or three, two or three o'clock in the afternoon yep. and it, all of a sudden the New York Times, the, 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 the thing that I was following at the bookshop, the feed, suddenly the state started rolling over, not in her direction. And um, I do remember having conversations the next day with my sister-in-law who lives in San Francisco who is a Democrat voter. Um, we've mentioned her before, Cara. She, she marched a couple of months later. She went to Washington and marched in the Women's March. And um, she was in a little bit of a fetal position for a couple of days. And I texted her just a little while ago and she said she's back in that same little ball. So, well, it's funny. Let's we hope a, something interesting happens and it's we positive. Had a, well, Anthony Green seems to, our friend Anthony, <laughs> your, your, my your new, crush. My, my friend Anthony Green seems to be leaning towards Donald. I remember exactly because um, a good friend of ours was turning 
60 and I was getting sort of getting ready for that and I was upstairs with a cup of tea and I dropped the cup of tea and it spilled all over my beautiful new Irish linen curtains. And to this day, I managed to get most of the stain out. Whenever I look at the bottom of the curtains and that awful tea stain, I think of Donald One Trump. One could argue that Donald Trump is a stain on humanity, but no, he's on your curtains. There you go. We were going to talk about our November challenges because I've got a lot of appointments to make, you know, dental, the, every type of medical appointment in history. But we just thought we'd stuff the challenges this well, month. Well, we've, we? we've had a very challenging year. We can't <laughs> think of anything. I think the challenge is actually going to uh, to buy a bra, Caro, because um, it, you and I go to the same little place in um, in Malvern and uh, Anna Anna's sister, Anna from the Upshop sister, Julie, informed me that you actually, there were so many women on Wednesday morning, they were lined up outside to buy their new bras after 100 days of lockdown. And Julie said that she actually had to make a booking to go and buy a bra. Wow. So there you go. Well, that'll be my challenge. I predict eyeshadow because, you know, we can't really wear lipstick most of the time because it just gets wrecked by our masks. So eyes will be the new thing. Do you think? And I need new runners because I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of walking over the past few months. We are out of lockdown. What's changed the most for you since last Wednesday when we were given, when we last spoke? Well, as busy as 10 men, as you can imagine... We continue to work through and keep our bookshop operating in a most peculiar and unusual way, but we did. And now it's back with the doors open and people coming into the shop. And that's really why we do what we do. We open a retail business because we think we've got a great idea. We think we've got a great product that we believe in that we can sell. And we do it to connect with people and customers and have those conversations. And when you don't have them for two lockdowns over a period of nine months, uh, the first thing you notice is that just that that warmth and that humanity of people connecting. And the second thing is children are back in the shop. I don't think we sold a kid's book for the ho- pretty much for the whole of COVID, of the whole of lockdown. And the children are now back in the shop and um, it's been really lovely. So that's the first thing probably I've noticed. What about you? I've had to get my diary out again. I mean, as you know, I use a paper diary and I just didn't look at it for three or four months. I mean, I knew all the... Because it... Opening up has coincided with me finishing the bulk of my work for the year with the footy season ending. Did I mention that the Tigers won the flag? <laughs> no, no. I think you know, we're... when I gave you a lift in today, Potty's on the top of her veranda at the front door is a garden gnome that is dressed in a Richmond Guernsey. It was a present. It was a present. You know that. And, every, as, and as long as Richmond are premiers, the garden gnome stays. And I said to you all, till the first bounce of the ball next season, and you said, no, the entire year that well, thing when, is going to sit on the When the Tigers house. bounce out, whatever day it is, and if they happen to win it again, it's there for <laughs> another year. Anyway, no, getting out a diary, which is sort of interesting, um, yeah. Not having to plan so much your trips and your walks, etc., because you can walk with more than one person. Um, you can actually, if you plan a properly call in to see someone. So there's a lot of planning to do. Yes, and a friend said, do you want to go to dinner at a restaurant, which was just like a whole new experience of thinking about Done when that. shall we go. Done and that. of course, so we, had, we have to wait until December because the restaurant can only take so few people, which is yes. great. They're doing really well. Be- you know, they're completely booked out. But that's a funny experience too, going out. I'm a little bit the nervous, imp- oh, to be honest. You, you come around to it pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> the impromptu um, experience is sort of gone for the next few months. So you've just got to suck that up. You've just got to make appointments, plan to eat it 
weird times like 9pm, 8pm, 5pm, you know, the six o'clock booking, all of that. And it's amazing how flexible everybody is. And the nicest people I've come across in the last week are people who've gone not, oh, it's been so hard and we don't know what we can do. It's like, we can do this. We can make money out of this. This is going to be a good summer. We're going to try this. We're going to try that. So um, The really yeah. interesting thing, Caro, was I observed the... Um the, the streets of Melbourne. So I went over to the Brunswick area, went to Mediterranean Wholesalers, which I love, um, in Sydney Road there. And everywhere, every cafe had people out in the streets. People had shopping bags. People were with masks on, of course, but talking, obviously neighbours or neighbourhood folk who hadn't seen each other for quite a while. It, the streets were just alive. It's so wonderful. Drinking a cup of coffee without moving. It's yeah. so nice to actually <laughs> sit and read the paper with your cup of coffee in a cafe, usually outdoors. So, so that's been really good. So the UK are now going back into lockdown. What would you? What was the one bit of advice you would give people? Oh, gosh, Caro. I, I, look, I feel really sad for our friends in the UK, friends and family who live there, particularly in London, because it is going to be a sort of a... If you're in the countryside, it's a bit better than being in London, I suppose. Um, look, my tips would probably be... Uh, and I said, the, <laughs> I said this... I, I have a, a buddy who works for Waterstones, the booksellers in London, and I said that they should get on to a, Yoga with Adrienne um, so Adrian is a Texan yoga teacher through YouTube. That would, be the, that would be the first bit of advice. Because she also does meditation and she does uh, stretching as well. And I think that's really important when you're locked up at home. I would also suggest routine, eat lots of vegetables, watch your booze, buy local. Remember all the shops around you, everyone in London, still have a click and collect, or most of them do, and buy books because Netflix starts to make you feel a bit unwell after 90 days. We can tell you that because we've all done it. Now, Corrie, we're about. We're, we're going to stop talking about this now because we have, as a special treat for you on our hundred and fiftieth episode, a very special guest. Who? Who? I'm going to give you a hint in a moment, but he was, in my view, the start played a starring role in what I think will go down as the greatest sports story of 2020, certainly in Victoria and probably in Australia. Here's a big hint. Johnny Get Angry goes to Young Verna. They come away from Let's Caracadil. Deal. Late Cherry Tortonian hit the shot. Johnny Get Angry and Young Verna. Johnny Get Angry is driving clear. Johnny Get Angry is going to do it for Dennis. Johnny Get Angry wins the Victoria Derby. Young Verna in a photo for second with hit the shot. Then came Let's Caracadil Deal and Cherry Tortoni. No, it's not Jared Waitley, but that was a great call. It's not the horse, Johnny Get Angry. It is the trainer extraordinaire. I never thought I would say this. Dennis Pagan, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, good afternoon, Carol. How are you? Oh, look, I'm, I'm oh. terrific. You remember my friend Corrie? Didn't Hello, you? Dennis. It's Corrie Perkin here. Last time we saw you, Carol, and I saw you on Oaks Day, I think it was, maybe about eight years ago. In the ago, champagne bar. In the champagne bar. And, um, and now you're training the winners, not backing them. <laughs> Oh, well, you've got to do something with your life, and uh, I was going nowhere, so I decided to do something that I wanted to do, and it, uh, after a big struggle, finally got there, got a licence, and had a bit of luck very early in the piece. So, Dennis, when um, you and I used to spar, when you were still coaching, um, you your horses used to be trained by a bloke who lived in our street, Henry Plumtree. So at, at what point did you decide that you were going to do it yourself? Because you were very happy with Henry, as I recall. Yeah, Henry was Henry sourced my horses for me. Okay, he was a blood sorry. dog agent. Come, um, you know, he's managed uh, 
um, at Darley for years and Lloyd Williams is uh, racing manager for a long while and he's now in New Zealand with the Cambridge Studs. Um, so he's got a very good uh, position. So he sourced my horses and I got a text from Hen- Henry the other day. It's just great to hear from him again. What did he think of you... Um getting a little bit emotional, which was sort of the best part of it for me. I've never seen you, never seen you do that in my life after two premierships and some great victories, etc. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't know what came over me. Um, I was speechless. I couldn't talk. Dennis, can I suggest um, the two million bucks might have had something to do with it? <laughs> well, Corey, that, that's not the reason I uh, did it. Um, you know, that was completely uh, no, of course extraneous. Not. But I really mean that. Um, if I've got if I've got more cash to muck around with, all I'm going to do is buy more racehorses. So it was the furthest thing from my mind. Dennis, I'm fu- I'm, the- I'm full of admiration for you doing this. I and I I read this in the paper, so I'm not giving anything away. At the age of 73, and uh, fulfilling a dream of many years to become a horse trainer, I think it's just it's such a fantastic thing that you have done. Why, why training? Why not just sit back and say, well, look, I'll dabble a bit in owning and breeding. Why, why actually taking that extra step? I suppose it's the challenge. I suppose it's the competitive uh, personality I've got. Um, I like to compete in everything I do, and I'm probably a compulsive obsessive with everything that I do. And, um, look, I get up early to go to the gym when it was open, and I thought, well, it doesn't make any difference. I can go down the... Uh, racetrack at four o'clock in the morning. Um, I'll be up and awake anyway. Um, and I just thought to myself, um, I want to try this. Not that I, th- not for one moment did I think it'd be as hard as it was to get a license, but it was. But I eventually got there. We got a lot of support. There's a great camaraderie with the trainers and all the people involved in racing, and I, I, I really uh, enjoy going down there to the track and to our tower every morning, even if it's only three three hours, three and a half hours, just so enjoyable. And I'm home at half past eight. I've got the rest of the day in front of me. Dennis, the obvious question is, what are the key differences to getting through to a horse as compared to a footballer? Um, look, there are you know subtle differences, but look, the key to success, in my opinion, is to do the basics or the fundamentals well over and over again. Horses can't talk. Footballers can. They'll give you a mouthful of cheek. They'll go out to nightclubs. Um, <laughs> racehorses just sit in their box all night, eat stuff. Um, look, the, the principle, the training principle is the same. You know, it's a progressive overload principle. Um, you know, you don't want to overtrain them. Uh, they're magnificent animals, and they can run um, whether they're fit or not. And you've just got to look after them, make sure they're on good feed. Um, and, you know, just, just load their uh, um, programs up a little bit. And after 10 to 12 weeks, they're ready to uh, trial and ready to race. Dennis, can you tell us about the name, Johnny Get Angry? Yep, I certainly can. Um, this might be before uh, uh, your uh, um, time, uh, ladies. There was a, a lady in the late 50s, early 60s called Joni Summer. She had a song, Johnny Get Angry, Johnny Get Mad. Give me the biggest lecture I ever had. You should Google it and play it. It's a very catchy tune. And and I, I love the interview um, with your jockey afterwards. You obviously stuck by him. Um, he, you know, a young, unproven jockey. You could have gone with a lot of other people, but a bit like showing faith in in young footballers, isn't it? Really. 
Well, there's, there's a, a real correlation, uh, Caro. Um, I'd had senior jockeys ring me, uh, uh, jockey managers ringing me, and people in, in, in the box in the morning, you're not going to leave an apprentice on, you're going to put a senior jockey on. But look, you know, I've, I've, over the journey, I've given countless 18 and 19-year-olds their, their chance, and it's amazing. 90% of the time, they repay you in bucket loads. And it's the same with Lachlan King. He's an impressive... Look, I laid down some ground rules uh, for him. You know, I said, look, you know, I don't want a nightclubber or someone who's sticking stuff up their nose. I want someone who's fair income. I said, I'm zero tolerance in a lot of areas, and I'm going to back you back you to the hilt. And, Den- Dennis, um, on, um, on that first um, first day of the spring racing carnival at Flemington, the focus is often the McKinnon, but I've always loved the Derby because it's such a, a fine race. And indeed, now as a winning trainer, you're, you're right up there with some of the great names of the of the industry, Bart Cummings and Colin Hayes, the Freedmans, Gay Waterhouse, I think, um, has won a couple. Um, what, what did it mean to you, particularly this race? Well, it was amazing. The first time in my life, um, you know, preparing, just say preparing for grand finals, you become nearly zombie-like. You know, not coming out of your room, just thinking about this and thinking about that. And for the first time in my life, I went out to lunch the day before a big, big sporting event. Had too much to drink. It was quite dusty when I got home. <laughs> That's not like same, you. Same thing. Well, I tell you, it isn't. And went to the race. I had no expectation. Probably the difference is when you're coaching a football team, you're responsible to your players, your supporters, the club, the media. When you're training a racehorse and you're only at 100%, you're responsible to yourself. I couldn't do any more after Friday morning's uh, track work. We just give him a swim on Saturday morning. He had a shampoo and uh, uh, had his brekkie. So um, uh, my staff do all that. Uh, I don't do it. So I just thought I'm going to enjoy myself, and I did. Uh, probably enjoyed myself too much, but with all this COVID stuff going on, the restaurant's just starting to open. I just wanted to do that. So it was, it was an enjoyable day. I had no expectation. I went there. And when he hit the front, probably at the clock tower, I thought to myself, I might be in with a chance here. And it certainly turned out that way. Uh, two other things I loved about it. Well, obviously seeing you get emotional. And I, I think you said it, at the moment it happened, it felt better than a premiership. But never did I think, Dennis, I'd live to see the day that Cheryl Nola would go down Media Street. I, did I hear her interviewed on Monday, Mrs Pagan? She said she was so you know, ner- She couldn't even watch the race. She didn't even see the race. She was so nervous. Well, it's funny, you know, what she, she said, uh, told uh, um, uh, Jared's producer, not any chance whatsoever will I do a, a radio interview. <laughs> and I got back from track work and they were ringing her and she ignored the calls. I said, look, <laughs> just take it. Jared's a good bloke. He'll look after you. And I said, just be natural. But she wasn't natural. That, that wasn't Cheryl Nola that I know. <laughs> um, anyway, she, she, she got through it, and um, I, I actually I, I didn't want to listen to her because she would have uh, um, probably uh, got more nervous. So I, I just said, it's done now, forget about it. It's been an extraordinary story, Dennis. I have to ask you, um, your old um, footy club's actually looking for a coach, and your stocks are pretty high at the moment. Any chance? <laughs> Look, uh, I just wanted to get back on track. They're, they're uh, in more trouble than the early settlers. They've got to get their leadership right and their decision-making right, and you know, um, I don't know what the process is. You know, I, I, I look at their selection panel and I think to myself, gee, I hope these people understand the responsibility they've got. Because I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm saying, well, does anyone know 
um, the history of the North Melbourne Football Club. It's a unique identity in um, football club. And you've got to know where you came from to know where you're going. And, you know, you've really got to understand the history and the people who came before you to know what you want to do and where you want to go. But anyway, I say a lot of things, and I've got to probably keep my mouth shut, but they're in a lot of trouble, and I hope they, hope they get it right because I, I just feel like hell they're going to push them uh, south of the border, and I don't want to be, uh, I don't want any part of that, I can tell you. Dennis, uh, we wish you all the best in your newish, not so newish career as, a, a, well, certainly as a Derby winning trainer, but um, so glad you and Cheryl have, have found joy and happiness and fulfilment in this way. And long may those winners continue. Thank you for talking to us today. That's terrific. Uh, Corrie, you sound like a ma- marriage counsellor speaking like that. Thank you. <laughs> it's <laughs> Thank great, you very much great to speak to you, Dennis. I don't think, has there ever been a premiership, a football premiership winning coach train a group one of course there around, around, around the world? It's never happened, has it? Have you checked? Oh, who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's I'm with you, here. Dennis. You've made, you've, made, you've made your mark. Let's say that. Um, all the best and uh, big pat for Johnny Get Angry. Terrific. Thanks, Corey. All the best, Cara. See you, ladies. See you, Dennis. Thank you. What a story, eh? What a story. It's the best. It's but, just... You know, every spring racing tale. carnival, Caro, a, a fairy tale is thrown up, isn't it? Every spring racing carnival, and that's the fairy tale for this weekend. Even better news, Corey, is that we are now moving on to another segment, which is a new segment... Now, was it your idea to call it the cocktail cabinet? It totally was my idea. I don't want you ever to forget that. And isn't it just, I'm so excited because we can now have a drink. <laughs> um, brought to us by Prince Wine Store, bringing Melburnians the greatest wine in the world. Visit princewinestore.com.au. But what we are going to do now is introduce another guest. And he's actually with us in the studio, Tony Noel of Prince Wine Store. Lovely to have you on board. You're going to come over and um, say hello now. I believe. Hi, Karen and Corey. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Hi, Tony. There's another microphone that I think we can get you to use right here. I'll move over a little bit. So the topic topic for today, Potties, because it's our 150th. This is Tony Noel, everyone, by the way, Prince Wine Store, as we mentioned before. You can see him on the screen. And for those of you who are listening to the podcast a little bit later on, um, we just have to say he's he's very handy opening the uh, sparkling. And that's the topic for today because we're celebrating our 150th and we thought it would be really... Really nice to get Tony's thoughts on an Australian sparkling. And Carol and I are very familiar with this particular product, or not this one. Well, I've been recommended the Gembrook Hill Vineyard. Love a sparkling. But I've never actually tried it, so I'm very excited. And Tony is going to tell us all about it in a moment. It's it's sort of it, it's a nice segue, isn't it, from talking about Derby Day and racing? Well, I think to, so. It's and having last seen Dennis in the Champagne Bar all those years ago with his great friend Tony Elshaw by his side. I, Remember the trout? He was his assistant coach. The trout then went to become a recruiter at St Kilda, but I'm sure the trout would have been just as happy for Dennis as anyone in Australia. But I seem to recall, as we saw them on the escalator, you said, "Oh, there's Dennis Pagan." I don't know whether he's talking to me because I've written something bad about him. Oh, he, he gave a lot something. of journos a, a stretch now yeah, and then. He, he greeted us like long lost friends and I think we had a very no, nice hour um, or so with him. He was, yeah, he, he's a, a, it was a wonderful man, a hugely influential coach over many, many years, groundbreaking really. Um, it's a pity that it didn't end up that well for him at Carlton, but you know what, that's all been undone now. So cheers, Corey. Thanks, Corrie. thanks Tony. 
And Tony, um, you've got and to tell us. to our 150th, Miss Jane. Yeah, cheers, everyone. Jane, Jane can't drink because she's organising the control panel and the Zoom and everything else. And the beautiful so. flowers that you can see in the background. There's some in the foreground too. And Tony, I'll just say again, Prince Wine Store, visit princewinestore.com.au. But you're going to tell us about what we're drinking. Okay, so today, um, ladies, we're having a taste of the Gembrook Hill Blanc de Blanc 2013. Um, <laughs> the so, bubbles just caught in my throat. <laughs> so it's um, it's a really special um, sparkling wine made from Gembrook Hill, which are located in the Upper Yarra, so in a cooler region in the Yarra Valley. And the thing about this wine, which is really unique, is that it's had six years ageing on yeast lees. So they basically give it extended um, bottle maturation to build up the complexity and the structure in the wine to make it a bit more of a sort of special, more serious type of sparkling wine. So the brief was initially when we were talking for me to find the best sparkling wine that I thought we could find from Victoria for under $50. And this one is actually normally 56 but the Prince Wine Store are doing an 11% discount on it to drop it down to forty nine ninety nine. Perfect. Well done, Prince. Fits the bill. <laughs> yeah, so it just sort of scrapes in and fits the bill under that price category. It is, but it's lovely. Yeah, it so Blanc de Blanc, you, you may know this already, but so it means it's 100% Chardonnay. So sparkling wines can be made from three varieties, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay and Pinot Meunier, but this is 100% Chardonnay hence the Blanc de Blanc name. And it's got really beautiful sort of acidity. There's really mm. crunchy green apples you can get, but really nice yes. structure. So it's it's a sort of, it's Getting a relatively that. serious sparkling wine. And it's it's not a, it's not it's, a cheap wine. It's but. complex, as they say. Tony, I think from the outset, now you're going to join us as our new best friend. You should learn. Don't assume we know anything, okay? <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if we pop up occasionally with a bit of knowledge... Be surprised. Don't be. Don't like pretend that you're not surprised. Well, people tend to worry about their their wine knowledge, and what I always say to people is, you only need to know what you like. Yeah, that's the most I think important that's thing. Absolutely right. Always. If my mother Julia was here, a frequent guest on the show, she would um, spurt forth with her theory that Australian sparkling wines are among the best in the world, and she cannot understand why. I mean, it's lovely to have a bottle of good champagne, but she cannot understand why it is any better than wines that you can, sparkling wines you can get in Australia on the mainland or particularly, she loves Tasmanians as well, a couple of Tasmanian ones. Yep. Do you have a, a view about that? And Well, the, the proof in the pudding is that, that some of the mainstream, really well-known champagne houses that you will know of um, have actually invested in Australia. So Domain Chandon from the Yarra Valley is part owned by Moet and Chandon. So there's actually been major investment, and in Tasmania quite a few years ago, um, Paul Roger invested in a champagne house as well. So the fact that the, the French are actually investing money in Australia is 100% proof in the pudding. And some of the wines that we're producing in this country are actually, you know, pound for pound quality-wise, they're actually really great value. Caro, when Tony and I were chatting via email about our first segment and talking about sparklings, we actually thought Victoria, because Victoria's been in lockdown and we thought Victoria, we deserve to celebrate a Victorian uh, vineyard. And this is absolutely delicious from Gembrook. I'm loving it. The other Victorian one I love is um, Dominique Porte's Brut Rosé. You've had that before. With yep. us. It, I'm not a big kind of pink you know, a pink sparkling kind of girl, but gee, I think that's a fantastic drop. I love yeah, that, that that's also really good. And Dominic has got obviously French heritage, and you know, is a, is a fantastic second generation winemaker. And his son now works with him, and he, he's also making really great value sparkling. I think he, his would actually be a bit more inexpensive than this one. I think I don't know the exact price off the top of my head, but his his yep. wines are really well priced for the quality as well. In fact, Dominic is a brother-in-law of one of our favourite friends and um, potties, Roe Thompson. And um, and um, I off, I've often ordered 
often, I didn't know that. That wasn't often, an insight. Often Mark. order the um, Dominic Porte rosé when I'm out for lunch, but I've actually I'm going to try this one again now. And that so as you're saying, 11% off, so you can get it for under fifty dollars. Yep. And as see to me, that tastes just as good as a lot of the French ones that you know retail at se- between seventy and eighty dollars. Do you have any other favourites? Um, my other favourite, unfortunately, not Victorian, but it's it, it's it's the most highly awarded sparkling wine in Australia. It's actually called Arras from Northern Tasmania, Aras, yeah. and and they've been making amazing sparkling wine for a really long time. The climate in Tasmania is perfect because you need to ripen the Chardonnay with a really nice natural acidity to give it that structure. Well, I love that Bay of Fires as well. Bay of Fires is also and really good. the one you and I have, do when we have Scrabble. What Clover Hill. Yeah. We love Clover Hill. Clover Hill's Hill. also really good. That was actually on my list of, of you know, if, if, if I was to say my top five sort of under 50. But the climate in Tasmania is really perfect for ripening the grapes in the right way to produce fantastic sparkling wine. So a lot of the best sparkling wine in Australia as, you know, things are warm up a little bit actually comes from Tasmania because the climate suits it so well over there. But Arras leads the way. And at one stage, Ed Carr actually won 21 gold medals in a row in the show system, in the wine show system wow. in Australia for, for sparkling wine. That's that's what a massive success Arras is. It's wow, incredible. That's amazing. Have you noticed, um, well, I suppose business would have been booming all the way through COVID as well, wouldn't it? Or um, yeah, in, so in I'm, a different way. I sort of I work in conjunction with the Prince Wine Store, but I'm actually a wholesaler, so I have my own wholesale business, and my my sales in some areas were up by three. So alcohol consumption in Australia, I haven't seen all the latest. You mean threefold? Act, threefold. So. Wow. So Tony's building a new wing on the back of the house. He's calling it COVID Central, the COVID well, rumpus room. I've I got think. two boys headed to St Kevin's next year, so it was actually a necessity. <laughs> um, I was uh, pri- prior to COVID. A lot of my business, the large majority of my business, was to restaurants and wine bars and hotels and cafes and things. So I sort of had to rejig things a bit. But the retail sales more than compensated for the for the lack of sales to restaurants because people's cons- you know normal consumption has increased so much. And then I would imagine you were able to keep some staff on then, Tony, because you've literally got a pick and pack and you turn your operation into it like we did at the bookshop, a completely different scenario. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're, we're pretty lean and mean. My wife's an accountant, so she runs all the finances for me. And then I actually outsource all the, the, um, the warehousing and logistics. So I've got a, a company that handles that, that are a specialist wine logistics company. And so it would um, an Australian sparkling wine be one of your go-tos? Absolutely. I mean, I, I like to support local and I really like to drink local. Pound for pound quality, I think that what we're drinking today is actually a really beautiful drink. It's got mm. great structure. It's got a beautiful bead, fine bubbles. Like It's, it, really it's actually lovely. really and delicious. When you said yeah. apples, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it? well, they, they like to sort of say that they get these crunchy green apples in this wine and that sort of gives it that brightness and that purity and that's mm. got a lot to do with the extended lees ageing in bottle. And does the, does the Arras retail for a little bit more than that? I um, think, there's a, there's different the... levels. So the, the thing about Arras that I think is amazing is that their, their non-vintage gets normally four years ageing in bottle, which builds up that complexity and structure like this wine. And that retails for about $33. And that is amazing. For a non-vintage bubbles is actually really good. But apart from that, they do really long extended lease ageing. So they have wines six and eight and 10 years of age before release. And they can sort of go up to 50 and, and above those price points. So... With more price point, the higher so, price point, more quality. Tony, our messengers are very excited to be shopping with you. How best can they uh, access the Prince Wine Store and this incredibly beautiful drop from Jimbrook? Okay, so they can do it two ways. They can do it by telephone and just mention um, the name of the podcast. As oh, when there they you are. The we store. love a name drop. Yeah, so it's your far in life. And then also, <laughs> if they log on, there's where where it asks for a discount code. If you're buying online at PrinceWineStore.com, just put mess m e double s. That's um, us. Yeah, and then and then that's the discount code to get the $49 price. That actually is probably what we'll be like in about um, 
the rest of the bottle, really. <laughs> that, I've got one more really dumb question. So why – you mentioned the Blanc de Blanc. Yep. Why, why with the Clover Hill is the Blanc de Blanc Clover Hill such a better price than the normal Clover Hill? Is that is there a reason for that? Um, I've got no idea on that one. Sorry, no. but th- there are no dumb questions. But, but um, blanc de blanc is basically a chardonnay. Yeah, basically blanc de blanc means that, that it's just white, so it's, ju- yeah. it's just one hundred percent chardonnay. So normal normal sparkling wines, if they're just called brut, or they normally can be a combination of the three different grape varieties. Okay, all right. Well, let's see. I've never knew that. Okay, so the cocktail cabinet is now officially launched. Tony won't come in every week, but he will come in at different times when we feel we need a bit of a helping hand. But each week, messengers, we will be talking to you about any sort, not just wine, Carol. You started calling them messages now. Oh, and I just, I just, I like the mess. I got, <laughs> I got hooked on the mess then. Yeah, that's good. That's a good, yeah, good idea. Rather than writing potty, they're writing mess. That's who they are. That's who we all are. But uh, we can, um, we'll, we won't just be talking about wine, will we? We can do spirits with you, Tony. We can discuss any gin. alcoholic beverages that you happen to oh enjoy. Oh, mm. this is going to be our favourite segment. I've, I've sort of come around, yes, if one day we might have a chat about the old fashioned, which is a drink I've become particularly partial to... Do you know what's in an old-fashioned tone? Oh, no, I'm not a great cocktail barman, although I have actually started making Negronis at home during lockdown, which I have never done previously because I like watch, to have them out. But Did you watch Stanley Tucci teach you how to do that on Instagram? No, oh, I you didn't. have to. Okay, <laughs> no, so right. Stanley Tucci, who, the wonderful actor who Carol and I both have a massive crush on, during lockdown in New York, he took to the cocktail cabinet and every night at about 5 or 5.30, he would make his wife a Negroni and he tells you, he instructs you on how to do it. You can compare and contrast. I did a very similar thing. I've got a great friend, Mallory Wall, who runs Cafe Distazio in Distazio Chitta in the city, and I rang Mallory and had her on speakerphone and to talk me through just to make sure that I had everything done perfectly. Did you put the flame on the orange rind like my friend Sal loaded us? No, I didn't go that far. <laughs> it's a good, it's a very nice drink. That's an You're aesthetic right. thing, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, Tony, thank you so much for taking the trouble to come in and celebrate with us. Uh, my pleasure. Absolutely fantastic to meet you. I look forward to next time. Yeah, and thank you for supporting us with the podcast. We're so excited. As you can tell, it's a subject very close to our heart. And great to support local yeah. industry too. No, it it's is. Really it's, really, it's really lovely to have you guys behind, and we will certainly all be shopping with you, writing that, so that word mess. Okay, that guys? Is, that is the Gembrook Hill Blanc de Blanc from the Yarra Valley. Did you say the Upper Yarra Valley? Yeah, the Yarra Valley, but I just I mentioned Upper Yarra Valley to sort of make note of the fact that it's the cooler area where, where it is better for growing sparkle, the fruit for sparkling yeah, Not down in Lilydale, not down there, Caro, further up in the hills. And that is Tony up Noel in hills. from Prince Wine Store, bringing wine enthusiasts and the greatest wines in the world to you. Visit Prince Wine Store, as we said, .com.au and tell them that Caro and Corrie sent you. Here we are. Thank you so much, Tony. <laughs> Thanks, Lovely Tony. to see you. And um, Corey, we're going to uh, we're, we're moving all over the place now, but we'll move on briefly to the American election. It's a bit hard to say too much, given that we have no idea yet who is going to win. But it's fair to say that Donald Trump is doing a lot better than everyone predicted. I think that's um, right. I have to say. The Democrats deserve all they get. I mean, seriously, they've had four years to get their act together. You were st- you were talking about sort of 15, 20 candidates at some point a year ago and even 10 months ago. I know you were keen on Elizabeth Warren and there were others as well, but and this is nothing against Joe Biden, but surely they could have done better than somebody who is 
certainly in Australian terms, 10 years past retirement age. There is a feeling, there is a feeling that, not that Joe Biden has done a, a bad job since uh, he won the candidacy. In fact, during coronavirus and lockdown and the fact that he's had to communicate pretty much every day th- from his basement at home, um, he's probably done a pretty good job in uniting the country. I'm not sure whether we should lay the blame at the candidate, although the point that you make, Caro, is absolutely valid. Of all the very, very smart politicians in America and of all the very articulate uh, and charismatic ones on the Democratic side of the aisle, could they not have found somebody like a Barack Obama who could have really ignited the country? I suspect Extraordinary. After this, I suspect after this election they will be doing, regardless of the result, they'll be doing a lot of succession planning for the future. But look, I think this is probably Donald Trump has, uh, if this is his to win, it's this is his victory rather than um, Joe's defeat, if that's in fact how it, come, it comes about. Uh, the most extraordinary thing, I think, Caro, is that after all of this, and we've been hearing a lot over the last three or four weeks about the difficulties of people voting and the way the Democrat Democrat Party in particular has tried to galvanise people to get out there and vote. Um, and in times of COVID, that has been very challenging. But why doesn't why doesn't the world's arguably greatest democracy, why don't they have compulsory voting? This to me is the biggest issue. And what on earth is it about you can win the popular vote, but you can't win all the electoral college votes that are required? Um, at the moment, as I'm looking at my screen, the college votes are all that matter, the electoral college votes. So Trump has 213 and Joe Biden has 227. They say whoever gets to 251st will be the winner. This is such a bizarre situation because, in fact, Joe Biden could win more votes, uh, you know, on pieces of paper. Well, that's what happened last time, isn't exactly it? Exactly right, with Hillary. So it's, it's, a, it's a system that they have to really redress because I don't think it's working in the 21st century. But look, there have are a couple more, of... Have more people voted this year, do we know? Yes, many, many more. And I was going to sort of look on the positives of this. This election has been incredibly divisive. America is a divided nation, there is no doubt. But we should look at a couple of positives that have come out of this. One is the fact that the voter turnout in every single state has been up. And in some states, way, way up, like Georgia, way, way through the roof. This is a good thing. The other thing I think is uh, that the messages that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have preached are positive ones. Now, regardless of the result, I think we should hang on to what they say about America has the potential to become a united country. The third thing, Kara, speaking is... How can we hang on to what they say if they get beaten in what many felt was the... Donald Trump has dropped, dropped, he's blown up the country. I mean, how many people have died of coronavirus? I know, but, that, but still, still, you have to pre- you have to preach you have to preach what you believe. So, even for example, Nelson Mandela, for all those years that he was incarcerated in South America, South Africa, he continued to talk about justice and equality, and love and respect for fellow man. And so, I think if you just continue with your message. Um, you know, you you must surely the good writes out in the end. Don't forget Donald Trump is facing criminal charges in New York or could be. So this could really come back to, to menace him in his second term. It Doesn't could be his problem. To, does not bother the Doesn't electorate seem to bother one him. little bit. But the other thing I wanted to pay tribute to, Cara, quickly before we leave is the media. I think the the, uh, the US media, uh, oh, first of all, the um, everybody who's involved in the electoral process, all of the, um, the organisers and the conveners and the vote collectors and the 
vote counters and we, despite threats of violence, despite threats of COVID, they have stayed true to their uh, objective of democracy. But the media, I think, has done a fantastic job, particularly in the last couple of months. And boy, have they broken some big stories about Donald Trump. And they will continue to. So watch this space. Let's see what happens. Caro, um, on to the next segment. We'll just leave the election there because we have no idea what's happening. I keep looking at my screen here, hoping for a miracle. So on a happier note, you have a crush. Yeah, I do, Caro. So uh, on Four Corners on Monday night uh, on the ABC, I know my crushes seem to emanate from Four, from the ABC at the moment, but they did a really terrific study of the Year 12 students of 2020. And having reopened the shop, we've been visited by a number of our regular customers and many of the families are either, they are either year 12 students or they're parents of year 12 students. And I just wanted to say to all of the year, stu- year 12 students of 2020, how much I admire you. And I think Caro would join me in this one too. You have faced extraordinary adversity in a year when you are supposed to be the leader of your school, whether that's actually a leadership position or just a feeling of being at the top of the tree after all that time, and all the privileges that come with that, the responsibilities, and of course, the keenness that comes with studying when you're at that senior level of school life. Um, It's all been taken away and you've been thrown a curveball. You've showed amazing resilience. You're incredibly um, organised. What I've really admired in the year 12 students I've observed this year is that a lot of you are very connected so you become a very connected community you're constantly asking each other how are you going, how are you, how are you and you I'm know I'm impressed what? that you know so much about the uh, whole state of VC, VCE students Well I feel like a lot of them are coming into our shop <laughs> yeah, and I fair just, enough. and you know and I just, I know that I don't mean to question you. But your, the reason um, I wanted to mention this is because the exams are starting in a couple of weeks they've been delayed and I'm just thinking of you all at this time because, uh, you know, studying for an exam in a year when there have been so many unknowns and you've got to really kind of focus, um, hats off to you. And just remember, it doesn't matter what results you get. I did not get very good results in my year 12 at all, I can tell you. And look at me now, I'm a retail shop assistant. (laughs) (laughs) You're a shop owner, don't be ridiculous. But I I just, that's, that's just my message and I just wanted to say I have a crush on you guys, so you rock. Yeah, carrying on. You rock. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. Do we well, say that on the podcast? I know. I've got a few new ones I've today. I've never heard you say that no, before. Well, now we're going into our second 150th. I'm going to come up with all of these terms. <laughs> are we reaching out as no, well? No, we are never reaching out. Well, I don't think we're rocking. No, look, I mean, to, to think you don't get to do, you know, the athletics championships, the footy, the singing, the, oh, the dance, all, all the, the great things. I know. I know. The rowing. The, the last concert, the, you know, the oh, last art, the senior school art show. All of that. It's not going to ruin anyone's life. And it will probably make um, this group of kids a lot more resilient. But um, you know, it's, it's a very good topic. As is BSF, something we have been doing for a long time now. And Corrie, I have just read a cracker of a book. It's one that you've recommended in your most recent, um, you know, you do your book. Yeah, a summer reading guide. Summer reading guide. you can guide. actually see online if you're looking for some ideas to re- for reading. It's an Australian book by an Australian author set in Tasmania. We mentioned it a few weeks ago when we said suddenly everything seems to be Tasmanian and even lovely Tony is one of his sparkling wines he's recommended is a Tasmanian one. The Survivors by Jane Harper. I've got to say it's a page turner. It's an easy read. It's an easier read than I've only read one of her books, which was The Dry, which I 
also really enjoyed. Several deaths are at the centre of the story. Be careful. Don't give anything away. No. Several deaths are at the centre of the story. The key character is a guy called Karen Elliott. You know, the old story returns to his hometown after not being there nearly enough for his mother and his Alzheimer's ridden father. Miss Jane's nodding here. Have you read this? I read it the first day it was released. <laughs> it, it, it's, you can't put your grip, aren't no, you? From the and you are right there in Evelyn Bay. You can imagine the beach, the caves, the um, surf and turf, which is sort of the annual the yeah. um, local watering hole. A lot of characters from Kieran's past come up during the first few pages, first few chapters. He returns there with his partner and their newborn baby. Um, I won't say much more, but it is fascinating. With every chapter, there's a an author who's come to live in the town, a famous author who has relocated to the town. There's all sorts of possible suspects, and you're not sure where they fit in. But it well, is... I haven't read this book yet, but I gave it oh, to my Corey, I gave it to my brother to review because he reviews crime books for the bookshop, and he sent me a text one night saying. I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure whether I'm going to be giving it a positive review because there are so many characters. And then two nights later, finished it, loved it, cooks you in the end, which is really interesting. I mean, maybe that says more about his. Um, I didn't think there were that many characters. He can't juggle. A it few was pretty characters. easy to remember them all. Really, I, I mean, I know there are some books that do that yeah. to you, but. Well, I'm really looking forward to reading it, Caro. The reason I haven't is because I'm interviewing Jane. I'm doing a webinar with Jane Harper, and Miss Jane, you and I had the privilege through the book. Pod to interview her a couple of years ago. She's absolutely delightful, Jane. And she's joining us for an interview on the 25th of November between 12.30 and 1.30. So, Poddies, if you're having lunch and you think, hmm, you know, I might just tune in, you just go to the melbournepressclub.com website, melbournepressclub.com, and then you go into events and you can pick up a ticket there. But I'm really looking forward to it'll, talking it'll to It'll make a cracker that. of, before we move on to screen, it will make a cracker of a screen because the one of the main characters is these, these sort of well, they're like statues, aren't they, Miss Jane, um, of survivors of a long ago shipwreck, which there is a, a famous shipwrecked um, offshore of Evelyn Bay. And um, these statues were at some stage moved out to sea, which is seems weird that they did that. And you know when there's going to be a dangerous tide because suddenly you can't see the survivors anymore. But this becomes a very key part of the story. And I can imagine it in terms of being filmed, how good it would be. Now, Screen is something you and I both watched on the weekend. You kick off. It's called Roadkill. In real time too. So ABC, which seems to be our penchant on this uh, podcast, had uh, they went to air with a, a, a four-part, I think it is, a four-part UK series called Roadkill. And it is set around the Houses of Parliament in London. And the main character is a rather smarmy, kind of sharp, charismatic in a sort of a... Oh, well, he's a scallywag. A bit of a scallywag sort of way. And his name is Peter, I uh, can't remember his surname, looking at my notes madly here. Oh, Corrie, anyway, we don't need to, to know second. the name of it. But, but he is played by the minister. wonderful Hugh Laurie. And Hugh Laurie, if that rings a bell, go back a few years. Remember Laurie and Fry? He used to be in a double act as comedians with Stephen Fry. And then, of course, he went to the US and made that successful medical series House where he Brilliant played Greek show. House. Great show. Anyway, Hugh Laurie and I the, think night is manager, just the night manager, the night manager, was his absolute, of the night manager was his absolute. But the cast, Carol, is amazing. I mean, there was Helen McGrory, who we loved um, just a few weeks ago in husband, wife, son, or son, husband, whatever it was. Is she, with the, Richard is she Gere. the PM? She plays. Yeah, she the PM. plays the PM yep. in a rather Margaret Thatcher kind of 
naughty boy sort of way, um, but slightly menacing herself. But gosh, I loved it, didn't you? Oh, I really enjoyed it. Couldn't stop. I was absolutely gripped. I'm just looking here to get my recipe ready for the next segment. But I, I, I really loved it. I mean, it, it starts out with a court case. He's been he's sued a journo for writing a story um, about some of his inappropriate dealings. He wins a court case, but you sort of feel that he's really just got there on a technicality. The journo and, and the journo who's played by that Sarah Green who was in remember the or did you watch it the Dublin murders I talked yes. about it about oh, first yep. lockdown oh that's where I yeah, saw it first yep. lockdown she's an Irish she's a fantastic and she's fantastic an alcoholic actor. in this yeah she plays an alcoholic and he managed he gets a sack from the newspaper and the newspaper editor is also played by yes. someone really yes. famous and do you know where Pip Torrance I'll give you five bucks if you can remember where you last saw him oh, Harry Potter they're all on Harry Potter at some point <laughs> <laughs> Paul Duck he was oh. George Warleggan's hideous uncle. Oh, he Don't was you too. He was. I knew I'd seen him before. He <laughs> was anyway. also Tommy Lascelles in The Crown. He with was the Tommy, of course. He, oh, Corrie, well Gee, done. Um, you're off you your game, darling. You've had one week off and you're off your You game. have done your research. Well, anyway, it's great. It, clearly more's going to happen here. Um, Hugh Laurie also has, we, he thought, two daughters, but a third daughter seems to have emerged from his dark distance past. One of them seems to be in prison. There's a lot going on and it's only going to get better and better. Yep, so that's ABC 8.30 Sunday nights. Now, for food... You know how you said um, you get all your crushes from the ABC? Well, I've been getting most of my recipes from Saturday's Good Weekend and the Weekend Australian. But this week, I've deviated for a recipe that my daughter Clementine put me onto. She has made this several times, a lot, and it is my go-to bar snack. It's a little bit more complicated than, you know, a bowl of olives or a takeaway dip. But or, your, Corrie, or your prawn parcels. It is absolutely delicious. It is called tuna tartare with sesame, scallions and spicy mayo. Scallions, of course, are spring onions. Okay, I didn't know that. It's sort of um, an entry point for eating raw fish because it is so delicious. The recipe involves basically mayonnaise. I think he uses that cupy mayonnaise that seems to be all the rage. Um, a chilli, finely grated, highest quality tuna fillets, f- fillets, um, Two teaspoons of toasted sesame oil, but I reckon, I'm sure we just use normal sesame oil. Um, spring onions, rice vinegar, soy sauce. The recipe... Um, Wouldn't in- toasted sesame oil mean that you just, you have toasted it in the pan, warmed no, it I up? No, I think you may, or maybe put toasted sesame seeds in, I don't know. You trim it with one cup of trimmed watercress. Instead of using thinly sliced bread, we he does it with those, you know, those Mary's Gone Crackers, crackers? Oh, yeah, love them. The seaweed ones, it is absolutely beautiful on that and it, it's basically you put the tuna onto the cracker with a slice a bit of mayo underneath and then on top you add sesame seeds curry and i think he does black sesame seeds or maybe even nigella seeds it is delicious so sorry this recipe is clems or this is somebody else he's sort of um you lo- you lost me in dispatches there no no it it comes out of bon appetit oh, i think okay. but but instead of doing it on the bread the crusty, thinly sliced bread. You do it on the Mary's Gone Crackers crackers. Mm, so we're going to put it on the show notes. It is absolutely delicious. I wish I had a piece right now to oh, have, with our, to have with our Gembrook sparkling wine. Um, that was... Click for go, Vic, yeah, I was you, going to say. You go ahead. You go. <laughs> well, I was going, well, Miss Jane has sent us a couple of a couple of potties have written in. I'm so delighted. Thank you, first of all, to Visit Victoria and their Click for Vic campaign 
we truly believe in what you are doing. And Click for Vic, of course, Carol, is all about buying local and embracing Victorian businesses and exploring some of the new products and experiences that we can enjoy right here in Victoria. And we had a couple of correspondence, as um, Jane has um, given to us. Thanks to Ellen, first of all, from Clunes, who recommended checking out Wooten, W-O-O-T-E-N. It's a card wainer, cord wainer, cord winder. Have you not read written it? Cord wainer and leather craftsman based in Ballarat. What's a cord wainer? Makes shoes, Corey. You're kidding. <laughs> yes. I never knew that. Did you know that, what a cord wainer was? You I'm, did not. Of course I did. Oh, you're pretending. You did of not. Oh. So Ellen says, I was spoiled by family and friends who gifted me a beautiful handmade leather bag from Wharton for a milestone birthday. I know I'll have it for the rest of my life. The quality is impeccable, and I love that the gift was from a local business. I highly recommend looking them up on the Click for Vic website. Next treat will be a pair of custom-made boots. And Ellen has sent us some of the handbags that you can buy. How beautiful is that? I particularly like the... Cara Tote at the end. Thanks also to Alana G and Q who wrote to say how much he enjoyed the delivery of delicious Gippsland cheeses. He ordered that too via Click for Vic. The Shadows of Blue, oh, that is the best cheese from Tarago River Cheese Company, was her go-to paired beautifully with the apricot paste from Rutherford, Rutherford and Mayer. So we'd love to hear your Click for Vic recommendations. Please email us, feedback at don't shoot pod. .com.au. Now, Corrie, I'm grumpy. Well, I'm glad you are because there's just so much I could get grumpy about, including the man on my screen at this very moment. It, yes, it is on. fascinating. In Australian election campaigns, nobody speaks until the result is known. I know. And there's Unless Donald Trump. He's been on this screen for about 20 minutes. Joe he Biden spoke hours ago and now Donald Trump's speaking. I mean, it's sort of weird. As somebody said on a podcast, a Democrat podcast the other night, they just hoped that the USA would just spit out that orange furball, and that would be the end of him. Mm, well, not quite yet. Doesn't look like it's okay, going to happen. Okay, tell me why you're grumpy. Oh, look, it, it's sort of a footy-focused one, Cory. but what really annoys me is um, many, many months ago, the chairman of the AFL, Richard Goiter, who's been largely absentee this year, you know, I've had a few cracks at him, said that the AFL was recommitting to AFLW, that women's footy was not going to go by the wayside, despite all the massive COVID cuts that are happening in the game, footy departments, etc., we still don't know when the women's season is going to be played. We're oh, still, you're kidding. I we're sitting that. here in November. The season is starting at the start of February. We still don't have a fixture. It is just like last year. It just seems that this competition, I think there's a phone, we're, we're sitting here talking on the eve of Oaks Day, I gather there's going to be a phone hookup with all the AFLW clubs next week where they're going to learn a little bit more. But honestly, I know it's difficult. A lot of these players are unlike AFL men's players because they've got jobs elsewhere. They're not professional footballers. They need to work. So it's going to make it a little bit tricky in terms of COVID issues. Living in a hub would be a lot more tricky. Many will feel nervous about going to jobs and then going to play footy. They've actually started training today, which is great news. But to play devil's advocate here for a moment, do you think the AFL was just maybe waiting for borders to reopen uh, cases of COVID-19 to drop? No, I, I think they've taken too long to give these women any certainty. And I honestly find it strange. I know it's difficult to put together a fixture. I mean, the plan 
it was going to be nine home and away games and three finals. And I gather even that is now in doubt. They didn't even get a series finish last year. So there, well, this year there was no Premier. I, I feel... I feel it's not in anywhere. Not it, clearly, it's not a priority. It doesn't seem to be in the top five at the moment. That makes me very grumpy. Are we waving a, like sexism flag here? Oh no! It's well, of course. I mean, it, it's just not a priority for the AFL, and it should be. And it's and I mean, the clubs will take their lead from the AFL here, and a lot of cuts have been made. I mean, I know North Melbourne, for example, was doing really well when the season was cut down. They had financial issues. They sacked their coach, who was doing really, really well, and he lost. His, he's now got a job elsewhere. I, I think he's gone to Collingwood. Have to check that one. But they put Darren Crocker in charge, who's an ex-player who was an assistant coach. It was sort of oh, we had to give him a job. Uh, no. Nope. Not good enough. Oh, watch this space with that one. I did um, think Dennis Pagan's comments about North Melbourne and their coaching subcommittee it? was actually, don't shoot the messenger, breaking news again. Anyway, Corrie, we're going to round off with our usual six quick questions. Cannot wait. I'm going to, there's, there's a lot of these are historic podcast questions theme tonight. Good, I good. sort of Well, noticed. we may as well celebrate being 150. Among our band of regulars, Corrie, Anna from the Op Shop, Brendan Donoghue, Julia, Jeff Slattery, our children, Mike Sheehan, Jane Lamerton was one, another great friend. Well, we've had so many well, wonderful guests. Well, there's a difference guests. between guests and regulars. So all, yes. all of our children yes, have, have made an appearance at some point or another. Do you have a favourite moment or anecdote? Yeah, I do, Caro. It was it was the 50th. I mean, there have been so many. Can I just say that? I love it when Anna from the Op Shop comes on and gives one of her incredibly insightful book reviews. And I love it when Brendan comes on, or he doesn't at the moment, but when he used to come on and talk about politics and... And Julia, of course, she just, you know, is just whatever she says is hilarious. And it was a Julia moment that I remember. And it was the 50th anniversary of the disappearance of Australian Prime Minister um, Harold Holt off the surf beach at Portsea. And your mother was talking about that summer. And it was so interesting. And it was really, it reminded us, both of us, I think, and we were completely transfixed as Julia was remembering that summer, the helicopters, because of course she was down that way holidaying with you kids. And I really had a sense of just how extraordinary it was that the Prime Minister of Australia could go off Cheviot Beach all on his own and suddenly disappear. And of course, the terrible tragedy that ensued, he was never found. But there was a fun light moment, if that was at all possible. In fact, you and I completely, you know, pissed ourselves really, truth be told. But when she said how the children that summer, she said it was terrific because the children were occupied that summer because they all had their little minnow boats and their and their surfboards and everything out on Port Phillip Bay hoping for a sighting of Harold. We did. We all went looking for him. <laughs> and she said, you know, great babysitting thing to happen. Oh. It was just kind of really I, well, I, think, I think I was six. I can't actually remember that. I also remember her saying that he wasn't a great sports person, despite all those photos of him posing, you know, in Not a good tennis player. He served underarm, which I thought was a bit rough. Um, so of all our special guests, and we've had lots like Kerry O'Brien and... As opposed Annab- to our regulars. Yeah, as opposed to our regulars. Uh, you know, Annabelle Crabbe came on to talk about her cookbook, and we've had the Outer Sanctum Girls, who we love, talking about footy with us, and Jane Caro and all different We've done ones. a joint podcast with them. We've done lots of interesting things. Adele Ferguson came on and was just so fantastic. How many Walkley Awards can one woman win? Um, but who was, or do you, do you have one guest conversation that you can recall that really stands out? Jocks are wrong. Oh yeah, well, it was. Absolute, I'm just happy to look at him. It was just. I mean, it was just lovely to meet him to actually see the. I person, told you he was. The, the person behind the 
books that I have absolutely devoured and loved. Even um, happier to know that, um, there, well, you spoke about it the other day, didn't you? Um, the sequel to... Yeah, to Preservation is The Burning Island. Which looks absolutely mm, brilliant. No, I, I really I really enjoyed that. But I, I don't think we've had a dud, to be no, honest, <laughs> over the journey. I mean, it wasn't Kerry O'Brien. Kerry O'Brien was he, fantastic. He was, well, you and I are a little bit intimidated, dare I say, when you're younger journalist to somebody like Kerry O'Brien, even though he's out of the trade now, you are a bit uh, overwhelmed. But he was just so fantastic. He stayed for recipes and... The Outer Sanctum girls were fabulous. Gary Linnell was great. Um, obviously, Annabelle was brilliant as well. No, look, we've we've been very, very fortunate. We have. I also really enjoyed uh, Greg Miles, the race caller. He was great. Who came on and talked about, you know... He'd the, written an autobiography. Yeah, the right. difficulty of retirement, etc. Now, Corrie, what funny moment would you most like to repeat? Is this oh, a, a podcast been, moment? Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's why we're talking about it. Um, Jane and I, I think we just completely lost it and we I almost got you to sing on air not quite but when you were talking about the old school song that has an ibbity jibbity jibbity while shepherds washed their no. flocks by night no the one that was in another language we did it in Swahili Wachunga Wali Polinda I still remember <laughs> for some reason could we you did sing it entire... now because it's almost no. Christmas no I'm oh, not I'm on. never going to sing but okay just... what's the title of it Wachungawali Polinda, which is while shepherds watched their flocks by night. Also and then you, ate them. Well, it was just, I don't know why we did our entire carol service that year in Swahili. I still don't know. But anyway, I well, just Well, we didn't it. either. And Jane and I were looking at you absolutely perplexed. What kind of a school was this? I almost got you to sing it too. Anyway, I didn't. Now, no. Caro, we've had lots and lots of I recipes. I wouldn't inflict that on anyone. Lots of recipes. Some good, some great, and perhaps like my sponge cake recipe, not so good. But what I don't recipe? know if it was a recipe that was a failure there. <laughs> That's to cow. Um, see what I go through, potties every week, every week. Um, what was your what of all the recipes that we've done, or particularly you've done? Which one have you been most asked about by potties? Well, the prawn pillows. Oh, I yeah, think. I said parcels before pillows. Yeah, the prawn pillows, which um, was a recipe from my sister Mogs up in Sydney. Which the original recipe was crab meat, but we changed it to prawns, and I think I did, or she did, I can't remember, one of us did. But it's basically prawn sandwiches, but you'd, you'd, you'd pinch them in a special way around the edge, so they look like little pillows. And oh, the funny thing is, everyone, that each time that she talks about this recipe, which oh, is quite frequently, quite... she goes like this, but hey, that doesn't really work on a podcast. <laughs> it does today, because you can all see us. It sort of it involves a, a, real, a bit of mayo and a bit of cayenne and a bit of spring onion. It, they are the most delicious things. So and... would it be fair to say that you are asked more frequently about your prawn pillow recipe than you are about who's going to win the grand final? Oh, much more because no, as if any, as if I'm, as if I'm a good tipster. No, I, I do the the recipe we did this year, which involved the chicken legs and the risoni or the orzo, you know, which is like pasta but it looks yeah, like, rice. like rice. That is absolutely delicious as well with spinach and lots of yummy things. But no, definitely the prawn pillows, Corrie. Why do you think Don't Shoot the Messenger has found an audience? Oh, well, Caro, <laughs> I wonder. Um, look, the, lots, of, um, lots of inappropriate responses come to mind immediately, but I think it's probably because we're just two buddies shooting the breeze about the things that we love to talk about. And 
I know particularly in this COVID time, and we've had more listeners join us, which is really lovely and it's really interesting why. I think because so much of us were spending such a lot of time on our own and we weren't able to see sisters or mums or best friends or book clubs or any of those things that girls in particular love to do. But we also have to say we have a, you know quite a lot of men who listen to us, but none of us were able to really get together and just kind of sit at the kitchen bench or out in the garden or whatever, maybe with a drink or a cup of tea and just talk about the stuff that you and I love to talk about. And so each week through lockdown in particular, coming into the studio masked up, sanitised up, all the appropriate stuff, but to actually just be able to just download. And you often forget, don't we, Jane? We forget the microphone's rolling. I do. But I think a lot of people have just enjoyed that connection and that that started at the beginning. And it's not that any of us are particularly you know, unusual or amazing or fantastic, but we're all brought together by this sort of slightly self-deprecating kind of funny, the the things that we see are funny, the things that we find are interesting, the stuff that makes us outraged. Uh, It's probably quite common, a commonality. So that's what I love. It's a community. I said hello to someone on the beach the other day and she said, oh, I'm listening to you. <laughs> she had her earphones on. It, it is, it's People quite... say that a lot. I know. I said, oh, hang I'm... on. I'll just turn down the podcast. I, I always... You're on it. Hang on. I can't I... listen to you. I can't. I always want to apologise, but anyway, oh, sorry, I hope it was an okay episode. Anyway. But anyway. I, look, I mean, you can always turn off. And we've had a few people, haven't we, Jane, who have, have disagreed with what we've said and they don't like the podcast and they don't like my politics or whatever it is. And, you know, it's very easy to just unsubscribe. That's all you have to do. But, you know, it's not, it's not that hard. But we love the fact that you do and we love the fact that you give us star ratings. That really helps other people to find us. And so, Cara, my question to you, what would you like to see happen over the next 150 episodes of Don't Shoot the Messenger? Well, number one is easy, a vaccine. That is just, but we, we need a vaccine because... Oh, in, you're speaking, I'm, I was thinking more like pay rise or... <laughs> oh, oh well, well, a vaccine will make world it... peace. Will make it better for everyone. Yeah, that's um, very true. Number two, the Democrats find a decent candidate, so you can stop banging on about Donald Trump. No, 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 I'm only joking. No, um, you're not. Uh, well, I mean, uh, look, it, I, I realise it's a very serious topic, but no, if it in, if it's a podcast thing, I'll oh, miss Jane to write us another song. Yes. Surely. Oh, that Jane. Be, that would be an absolute priority. And obviously to continue to get great guests and... Do what we just do. Do what we do. But also in 2021, let's hope that we can have a couple of events with all of you. So you're not just on the screen, but you're all together having a party or something. That would be great, Caro. Be 150. Yeah, cheers, Corrie. You've done a great job. It's been a pleasure. So have you, Caro. It's been a pleasure working with you. (laughs) Thank you, Miss Jane. Thank you to our supporters, Click for Vic and Prince Wine Store. Thanks again for, to Tony Noel for coming in and introducing us to that beautiful Gembrook Blanc de Blanc. You'll find the links in our show notes, including the recipe from today. And thank you also to Dennis Pagan for being a very special guest on our 150th. We love your feedback and comments. Please connect with us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter and email us via feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you also to Eileen Berry and Will Kulik for their assistance in organising this event. And, Corrie, what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. This episode has been proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wines in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS, as in messenger, at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount.